Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everybody, welcome to Bitches on Comics. It's me, Sarah Century, and I am here, of course, as always, with my host, <laughs> other host. Hi, it's me, S.E. Fleenor, your other, other host. Super pumped to be here today. I am so excited. We have a special guest here with us. Yes. We have someone whose art I adore, Bishak Som. Hi, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing okay. How are you? You know, happy now that I get to talk to you. Um, thank you for joining us. We are super pumped to talk about your beautiful art. You had two books come out in the pandemic, right? Which is just yeah. like, what? Yeah. Lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's made, you know, promoting it very easy. That's yeah, called yeah. sarcasm. The cakewalk. <laughs> well, we're going to hear about all that, obviously, and, and talk about the books in depth. I am genuinely just so pumped to have you here with us today. But uh, I'd love it if you just started out telling people where they could find you on social media. Sure. Um, most of my work is up at my website, which is www.bishock.com. That's my first name, Bishock. My Instagram is at bishbash, uh, which is B-I-C-H-E underscore bash. Beautiful. And we will, of course, listeners put those in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that, didn't have a pen out to write it down, don't worry. Go to our website, bitchesoncomics.com, and you can see our show notes. Or if you look on wherever you're listening to the podcast, you might be able to see it there. But I don't know. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Amazing. So happy to have you here today. You're an illustrator, a comic creator, a goth. Last goth standing. (laughs) Well, we we know a couple others, but you're definitely among the last few. (laughs) It's true, yeah. We've actually had a couple of goths on our show so far, which is always really great. Yeah, Yeah, not so bad. I hope that we are building a bridge. Nothing but love for goths. You That's know? true. Yeah. yeah. The best music, honestly. Um, Truly. <laughs> always goths have the best music tastes. And we we age gracefully, which is... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I also think anyone who can, like give you a look that is both like haunting and makes you horny is like, that's art. I'm sorry. This is like you've done something that I have nothing but respect for. Um, so yeah, that, that one's for the goths. Uh, yeah, you know, we have read your beautiful memoir, Spellbound. We've read your incredible 
comics collection. It's a short story collection. Apsara Engine. Also just like, that's me doing my brain exploding. Beautiful. And I'm just curious, will you tell us a little bit about how you first learned about comics or if you remember any of the titles you first read? Yeah, I do. Um, Well, my parents were from India, but I was born and grew up in Ethiopia, in Africa. My dad worked with the UN and he used to get me comics from the United Nations bookshop. And the comics that I remember him getting from me were mainly Tintin or Tintin. My folks actually read me comics <laughs> before yeah. I Yeah, they would just show me the pictures and read the dialogue. There is one Tintin book, which is Tintin in Tibet, where they go mm-hmm. in search of a friend of Tintin's, but um, through Nepal to Tibet. And on the way, they stop in India. And there's a little scene where there's some Hindi dialogue. And my parents would read to me the Hindi dialogue and translate it to me in English or in Bengali. So those, Tintin is the first comic I remember reading and having my parents read to me. And I realized, you know, that's a very problematic comic. Sure, yeah. But it was formative for me just as far as the medium goes, you know? Yeah, and there's definitely something to be said for the the animation style and kind of how dynamic it can be, right? Like I mm-hmm. also read it as a kid and definitely as a kid, you know, we don't always have the critical lens we later no. tell it, but yeah. it's certainly uh-huh. in the time, you know, that I was reading it too. And now that I think about it, like I'm kind of like looking back through some of these pages now being like, okay, I can see a little Tintin <laughs> reference. I think it does come through. It's like, especially in Spellbound, you know, the way yeah. the sort of clear line style that I, I don't know if I conscientiously adopted that from Hergé, but right. I think it, yeah, it sort of organically happened because it's much different than what I, the way I was drawing other stuff, but it seemed to suit the style of Spellbound much more, I don't know, it seemed more appropriate, you know, and that Tintin influenced line um, sort of came through many, many years later. So yeah, yeah there for me, I think. That's very special. Um, We love talking to people about what comics really inspired them, you know, Mm -hmm. to later create comics. And everybody has a different answer, you know, which is always super nice. Yeah. I will also say, like, um, you know, Tintin, for some reason, is very popular with Indian kids growing up. Mm -hmm. And a comic that was very popular with me and with Indian kids was Archie. And, well, obviously, you know, I was like, ah, these... You know, Jughead and Archie and Reggie, they're just such dullards, you know. I want to know what happens to Betty and Veronica. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I took away from that what I could. A hundred percent, though. That is the thing. I'm always just like, I want to follow Cheryl. I want to follow mm-hmm. Betty. I want yeah. to follow Sabrina. <laughs> yeah. And like the the guys are definitely just kind of silly. But I like the comics where it's acknowledged in the text, right? That mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Betty and Veronica are way more interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that does happen. Also, I was going to say the first work of yours I read was in the We're Still Here anthology. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I was curious just how you got involved in that. Like, that was such a beautiful anthology. We actually reviewed it I believe last year wasn't it Essie yep we did during pride month we reviewed it oh fantastic one of our bonuses yeah I mean what a what a beautiful anthology first off yeah whoa I mean I I don't I can't take I mean Kara (laughs) and Jean edited and so they got most of the credit but they did ask me to do the cover which was 
a huge. I did not make that connection. My ma- my jaw just dropped. Uh, I did not realize you had done yeah, the cover. That cover yes. is so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. I'm not really sure how Tara and Jean found out about me. Now Jean and I are um, really close friends and she lives in Brooklyn. So we see each other when we can. But at the time, I didn't know that she lived here. So I don't think we had met before she had asked me to participate or contribute to the book. And I had just come out, I think, fairly recently at the time as trans. And none of my books were out at the time, but I had contributed to a couple of queer anthologies, like um, Beyond Volume 2 and The Other Side, which is um, anthology of queer paranormal romance comics. So I feel like those were the only two books that they could have um, found out about me from. I never really asked them how they knew about me, but it was <laughs> it was kind of magic. I don't know. We find each other. Oh, yeah. And that that whole collection is just so gorgeous and really opened doors for me because I was able to look up a bunch of new artists, like uh-huh, people who uh-huh. I kind of hadn't heard of before. So yeah. that was that was definitely where I found you. And then, yeah, I just thought that it was just such a nice collection. And I think that that's like the work that anthologies do, right? Is like, it's uh-huh, just uh-huh. so great to be able to like look at this kind of overarching thing. And then like Rachel Pollack doing like the intro, just like yeah. all of that. I mean, uh-huh. excellent. Thank you. And it's also like, it was very heartening during the process of it becoming a book, you know, because they, you know, they started funding it on a, as a Kickstarter. That's right. At a very modest, well, modest-ish goal. And it exceeded that, I don't know how many fold. So, you know, the hunger for a book like that. Yes. People were really wanting to see something like this in the world was really, um, it's really moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was like, that's, there's a shifting sort of tide in the world that there's a demand to see this kind of work out in the world. Sure. Yeah. I, w- I actually picked it up at FlameCon um, uh-huh. and they were selling it. And yeah, I believe it must have been the editors, but I was walking by and I was, you know how it is, you know, at those conventions, it's like so busy and kind of hard uh-huh. to take a second to look at something. Uh-huh. And there was like one little window where I like saw this and was just like, that book is gorgeous. Like, that's what I'm buying. And I just like dove in in a way mm. that made them both be kind of like, oh, <laughs> like, here's you all of a sudden. Know, and I'm just I like, know. I just need to get this. And they were like, did you uh, read about it? Or like, right, right, kind right. of just like, and I'm just like, no, I just need this. Like, I need this in my collection. <laughs> like, it is beautiful. And just like that cover, honestly, like, you know, it really mm-hmm. sold me. So Thank yeah, you. I just, I guess I just wanted to praise <laughs> <laughs> like how how cool that anthology is, but also, yeah, just like how beautiful it looked. Thank you. I, I was there, I think, um, at that flame, that particular flame con. I was, uh, oh, um, our paths my... crossed, but we didn't know Probably. it. <laughs> so, considering how many times I did the rounds, like I was like walking through like again and again, trying to like mm-hmm. get in because everybody's tables were so busy. So I, know. I remember like I tried to get like one zine from like Jay and Miles explain the X-Men and just even trying to like get near their table was oh, yeah. so hard. And then I like uh-huh. dove in once again at a weird time <laughs> where I was just like, they're trying to go to a panel and I'm just like, hi, I just need to buy this. And then it was like the last copy of it and they were just like ah <laughs> uh-huh. 
And I was just like, I'm sorry that all of your interactions during these festivals must be exactly like this. Where it's just like, uh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, that's what I'm talking about when I was saying, like, I was awkward before the pandemic is like, I don't know how you start conversations with people at a con other than like, hi, I love you. Your work is amazing. Hello. Beautiful. Can I have it? I don't know. Gotta go. Bye. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's all I got. It's what I got. I'm very ambivalent about conventions and I always have Mm -hmm. but I miss them now. (laughs) Right? Oh, I relate to that. You know what I miss the most is canceling plans. I miss Uh, having a plan and then not going through with it. It's so funny. Oh, I'm a monster. I'm like, oh, those, those are good old days whenever you, you would like sometimes cancel on our recording or whatever. Like those are, I, I do miss, I do miss those actually. Yeah. I did want to note for the listeners, we're still here. The all trans comics anthology that we're talking about is actually back in stock at Stacked Deck Press. Last time oh, I hey. looked, at, there weren't any, but right now it looks like they have over a thousand in stock. So oh, you wow. can, yeah, when we recorded our, our review of it, it wasn't available. So mm. I am so pumped that it's back out. Stack Deck Press, go check it out. We're still here. Definitely an anthology that is important to support. Yay. I'm like, add to cart while we're talking. <laughs> okay, I'll finish that when we're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, amazing. You know, I I really related to a piece of your memoir. And also, again, you talked about making a huge career shift. And I think it yes. was 2011. And you were an architect and you left your job to create your graphic novel. Yes. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about what that experience was like? And I guess I just found it so relatable, the eating scrap together meals, the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. needing to defend your right to take the time to make your yeah. art because people mm-hmm. make all these assumptions about who you are, you mm-hmm, know? And mm-hmm. it's a really powerful testament to the importance of pursuing what feeds you at a soul level. So I'm just curious, like, Mm-hmm. That must have been a really hard decision to make. How did you make the decision? And did you think you'd be where you are now when you made that choice? To answer that last question, no, I didn't think I would be here um, doing what I'm doing now. But just to give you a little context about my so-called career in, in architecture, um, it's something that I did. I began my studies in architecture because I thought it was a way to... I don't know how to put this without sounding really kind of awful, but to please my parents, basically, because I, they wanted me, like they want all their, you know, uh, Indian kids of a certain generation um, to become either doctors or lawyers or whatever. But I try to convince them that I couldn't hack it as a pre-med student. So I, I was, and I was really wanted to draw and I was, you know, like I'd been drawing comics all my life, but I knew I couldn't sell them on that. And, you know, I was also interested in architecture, but I never thought it would happen for me. But when the possibility presented itself, like when I was looking at like root paths through grad school, I was like, maybe I can do architecture and that's sort of serious enough that my folks will be proud of me. And, you know, I got into Harvard, which earned them some bragging points. So they left me alone for a while and I got to pursue something that involved drawing, you know, at a high sort of high academic level. And it involved all sorts of, really rigorous and powerful kind of thinking and ways of thinking about form and space, but also about culture and theory. And I had a really great time as a student of architecture. And all of that kind of changed when I um, came back to New York and started working at architecture offices. 
And to cut a long story short, things became toxic in the office environment for me very quickly, owing to a bunch of people, bosses who were very odd and and also kind of awful to me um, and to everybody, to be fair. I mean, they're like, you know, they're like sociopaths. And around 2011, as you say, like that's when the firm that I worked for, it pretty much imploded. And I was still working for this one guy and he basically stopped paying me. Um, and I was like, okay, I don't understand what I'm supposed to get out of this, you know? So I said, I quit. I mean, like, you know, this transaction is not beneficial to anybody except you. Uh, so I got out of it and there were some life kind of um, circumstances that at that moment allowed me to say, that I could take a year off and that I could finally sort of sit down at my drawing board and start making comics in quotation marks for real. You know, I mean, even though I'd been drawing comics for all this time, I thought I have enough material right here for a big book, you know? So I gathered some of the comics that I'd been making in the past, I don't know, eight years or so. And I decided to draw like, I don't know, 60 or 80 more pages of new stories and to to sort of try and pitch that as a short story collection. And I had, you know, the support of my partner and the support of sort of financial support that I was lucky to have because of uh, life, life circumstances. But yeah, it was a radical and decisive shift and something that was very drastic for me. But, and I'm, I don't consider myself a risk taker generally, but something at that point in my life told me that I needed to dive in and just mm -hmm. do it. And I'm pretty happy I did. At some point, though, too, that's kind of how I feel like it worked out, you know, in some ways for me to pursue writing was mm -hmm. just that it was like, it's not worth it to, you know, it's like after a while you try of trying to make the right decision and then it still just isn't <laughs> working, you know? It's like everybody's like, well, you have to get a job and you have to do this and that. And it's like, mm -hmm. Okay, but I did that and like I still have all of these problems. So mm -hmm. like why don't I have these problems when I'm doing like what I want and pursuing what I want, right? Yeah, and like yeah. I think that that's uh in some ways it becomes the smart choice, right? Like even mm -hmm. though like it's not necessarily what people would call the smart choice. But for, yeah. it seems like it worked out pretty good for you. So, In I mean, it worked out. It, it worked out great for me that you did leave your yeah. architecture <laughs> job because now I get to read your beautiful work. Like, I am very happy about it. <laughs> I was, um, you know, it took a while though for it to work out. In the end, because mm -hmm. when I finished the manuscript for Sara Engine in its initial form, and I pitched it to what I thought were the big three. Um, you know, Fanographics, Drawn in Quarterly, and Top Shelf, and no one bit except Top Shelf who wanted to do, they were like, oh, this is great, but, you know, maybe we can do like a, like a digital serialization of it. And I was like, no, I can't. I will, I will just break down because I really want this to be a book. And it took, it sort of just sat there as a manuscript for a couple of years. I mean, there are other things I was doing in between, but there was a while where I thought this is not never going to find a home. I pitched it to Feminist Press, which was, was such a magical like confluence of psychic vibes and energy. I was just like, this is where I should have. I don't know why I was pitching it to those other people. They wouldn't understand <laughs> or know how even to market this book or or have any interest in this kind of work, you know? For real, yeah. And Definitely. I was like, feminist. And I, I kind of, I 
wasn't that aware of feminist press, but they may have done one more graphic novel before mine, but I wouldn't have thought of it, you know? But they yeah, were, I was surprised that they were your publisher as well because I hadn't, I didn't know they did graphic work, but clearly your book belongs with them. I mean, yes. and what a beautiful, you know, I actually was able to get a physical copy from the library okay. mm-hmm. and it is so wonderful in print. You know, it's such a, it's a sp- really specific size. The yes. colors come across so nicely and it seems like they really understood and, you know, fought for your vision in the final product. And that's yeah. like, that's the dream, right? Like that's the person who should publish your work. <laughs> I know, I know. And it was such a joy to work with them. And I feel like, yeah, they really understood it. They found me at a time when I was coming out as trans. And before that, you know, if the book had found a home somewhere else, it would have been a very different book um, just because of who I was back then as opposed to who I am now. Mm. And the feminist press asked me to write one more story, which ended up being Swan Dive, the <gasps> oh. most explicitly trans and queer story in the book. I mean, there's queer undercurrents in the whole book. Mm-hmm. And those stories, even though that those under, there are undercurrents and not like on the surface, sometimes they are, but that also reflected who I was back then because I wasn't even sure where I belonged, right? But yeah. after coming out and having to write Swan Dive, and it was, I mean, I felt like they were trying to get me to do this story. And I kind of, I, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> but <laughs> happy they got me to do that story because, you know, some people it's like, that's the heart of the book. And um, yeah. I think I went places with that story that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. It's gorgeous. It's, it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah I, I was going to say, and I think that Swan Dive has the effect of sort of highlighting the queer and trans elements in the rest of the stories. Yeah. Where by having that that sort of explicit story at the center of the book, almost literally, and, you know, I also felt like it was definitely part of the heart of it. It, it sort of made me see everything through this beautiful sort of like, oh, right, okay, now that's kind of what this you know, this human griffin animal is also uh-huh. part of this identity uh-huh. around transness. And and I, uh, it's just, it's such a beautiful book. In, I mean, every story. I, I, I was like, how are we going to have a regular length <laughs> interview? We're going to have to keep Bishak here for like six hours so we can I'm talk through every story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm so glad to know about that and about how the book came together, because I was going to ask what changed between the original manuscript and this. Hey, listeners. Thanks for being with us here today. Maybe you don't know, but Sarah and I actually run a whole host of projects. This is Essie. Hopefully you know my voice, because I probably introduced myself in this episode, but who knows? Mm, Better do it again. Yeah, why not? And we actually have a publishing house called Queerspec. You can always go check it out. It's at queerspec.com. And that's where we host this podcast, Bitches on Comics, another cool podcast we're working on called Tales of the Sapphire Bay Hotel. If you want to know more, go to queerspec.com. And we have this very cool project called Decoded Pride. Decoded Pride is our story-a-day anthology of LGBTQ stories by LGBTQ creators. We're an independent series of projects, so everything that we fund, we fund ourselves. So that means that Sarah and I are out here hustling as freelancers. We're making money and sending it right into our other projects. And also eating sometimes. Sometimes. Mm, ramen. 
Mmm, delicious. So Dakota Pride is amazing. I mean, we have so many stories by so many diverse voices. We have so many gender variant authors that we're publishing. We've got comics, science fiction, fantasy, horror, the whole shebang. And you can just go check us out at dakotapride.com. Go buy a subscription right now. We want you to be with us reading these stories and helping prove there's an audience for queer stories by queer creators. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. And the other thing I want to talk about is I almost feel like Spellbound and Apsara Engine are best read together because oh. Spellbound is the the memoir about oh. writing Apsara Engine, correct? Exactly, yes. yes. And so, you know, there are even some panels in Spellbound that are early, you know, uh, like uh, line drawings or early mm-hmm. inkings from Apsara Engine. And that, to me, created such a a rich experience of how the stories were all interrelated to each other, but also to your experience and and your transition. And I think that's just really beautiful to have something that is, on the one hand, you know, Upsar Engine is is wholly f- fictitious, is about these sort of uh, genre twist stories, but mm-hmm. really about like humans interacting. And then Spellbound is this memoir, but I think you described it as a, a displaced memoir, I think. Yes. Uh-huh. And and so it's a memoir about a sort of fictional standing character living sort of the real experiences you did. Exactly. And and they go together so beautifully, where mm-hmm. one reinforces the the themes of the other. So I'm just like, how lucky for us that we got both in the same year. <laughs> so I get to read them together, you know? <laughs> I um I'll I'll just say very quickly um about how Apsara engine changed from its initial manifestation to the way you see it now. And I'm actually glad that it took that long for it to sort of gestate because I ended up redrawing, I would say like 70% of it because I got so much better at my art in that interim. To see it published in its original form would have been very cringeworthy for me. I would be like, no, I can't look at this panel. It's all messed up. But I got the opportunity you know, while Feminist Press was 
taking it on to redraw so much of it and to say, okay, this is up to my standard now. So I was really, I was so thankful for that. But yeah, um, Spellbound, I, I started Spellbound originally after, you know, as I mentioned, I sent it, the manuscript for Apsara off to the big three, as I called them, and was waiting for, either waiting for, or I'd already gotten rejections, I don't remember, but I thought, what what am I going to do with my time now? I mean, I was doing like freelance architecture work and graphic design and illustration, but I really, you know, I was like, I want to keep drawing comics. So I thought I'll just start doing like a diary comic, which is a genre that I was not a big fan of at the time, but I thought I can do this. You know, if I was reading other diary comics and I was like, I can probably do something better than this or whatever. So that's how it started. But I, I didn't want to draw myself, you know, because it was a little too close. It felt easier to draw the stand-in character who's Anjali, right? And she's a cisgendered girl. And at the time, I was not out yet. But I mean, that substitution, the initial substitution speaks volumes, right? So I don't know. I, in retrospect, you can untangle a lot of why that strategy happened in the first place. Because I didn't know I was trans, but the very fact of that substitution was a sort of herald of what was to come, you know? If it had been several, a couple of years later, I would have depicted myself as a trans character. But um, short of that, my next, the thing that I thought I had access to was to have Anjali, who was like um, my Sisona, um, be my my representative. Uh, I I can't take credit for that. That's Kat Fitzpatrick who came up with that term. But anyway, so yeah, it's all very tangled, you know? to have a trans person use a cis person as their ambassador. But that's what I, that's what I thought I had access to at that time. And I, I think it speaks to something that you discuss, I believe, in, in Swan Dive mm-hmm. with the, the very, very cool older trans woman who's like just blowing my mind with every sentence yeah. she says about like mapping trans bodies and trans futures. But it, it does speak to that of like the ability to to dream a version of yourself that is mm-hmm. Anjali mm-hmm. M- makes it possible for you to become the Bishock you are. And, and yes. that's, I think so often that that is part of what I'm doing in the creative writing work that I do when I'm writing fiction is, is dreaming selves that I'm trying to figure out how to describe still. Or, uh-huh. you know, like I'm non-binary and sometimes I'm like, I don't know what that means for my gender. Like, I'm just very confused. I'm just like, yeah. who knows? Like, right. spin the dial. Let's see what today's <laughs> gender expression is, you know? <laughs> Maybe I'll look yeah. like Jay and Silent Bob's love child. Who knows? <laughs> um, that's been happening a lot. I haven't had a haircut in a while. Uh, oh, and and so, <laughs> it's getting loud. That's, just, that's my default setting, so. <laughs> It's like the the witchiness is just being nurtured. Oh, I love that. I was so pleased when I got deep into Spellbound because, you know, I was expecting more of a traditional graphic memoir, which I Mm. love traditional graphic memoirs. I I Mm. love love graphic work. I don't really care. (laughs) It could be memoir (laughs) fiction I'm in. And there's something really magical about using Anjali to to discuss your own experience of writing Absara mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Engine because it's kind of like Russian nesting dolls of, yes. of imagined and real, imagined and real, imagined uh-huh. and real. Uh-huh. And, I, and I think that 
there's this moment in Spellbound where you meet a trans woman at a party, or I'm sorry, Anjali meets a trans woman at a party, Titania. I also did, but that's... Okay, I was thinking that it, you you got into that in the afterward a little bit, and then I was like, uh-huh. I can't remember exactly. Okay, so <laughs> it, it was like this moment of... It's interesting, right? Because you had as Bishock this moment of like, oh, I'm seeing this trans woman and that's a possible future. This is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is like, a, you know, when we talk about breaking the, the egg around transness, like your mm-hmm. shell got cracked a little there. But yes. for, for Anjali, it's I'm, I'm not trans. I'm mm-hmm. looking at this trans woman and I'm not trans. So there's this interesting tension in that moment right. where there's a sort of layered experience is taking place. And to me, that was almost because I don't have the language to dissect what's happening there. But when I see it happen, I can feel it in my bones. Oh my that God. there is so much happening around gender. There's so much happening around finding people One of my first friends who was trans, helping him and seeing him in his trans journey totally shattered my sense of what I had available to me. I suddenly was like, you mean I can just be anyone? And for a while I had to be like, well, I can't think about that because that is entirely too overwhelming. And I was like, I'm sure everyone else who's cis is feeling this way too. Of course, everyone feels this way. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh wait, that's the trans shit. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) But- those moments are hard to describe to people who haven't experienced them. They're hard to depict. And I think by doing it through Anjali and then layering your own experience, we really get to feel of that that infinite possibility of gender. Yes. That yes. like, there's so much more. Mm-hmm. And I just love that moment. And thank you, I guess is what I want to say. <laughs> that moment where, as you were describing, you know, where things break and open and there you realize that there you have access to this whole to dimensions that you just didn't know about was really profound for me. Um, I don't know if I talk about this in Spellbound or not, but it, it has to do with again, I, I going back to you know being a goth and how that for me was a sort of portal into b- being trans, right? So I kind of always have presented the way I, I look now, but under the guise of of being a goth, right? an older goth. Um, but it allowed me to some degree to inhabit that goth as a gender, right? And to sort of avoid other questions, other questions specifically of language, of, of, of you know, let's say pronouns, for example. And meeting this, this trans person, as I mentioned in Spellbound, was a way for me to, to access the language that I needed to fully realize myself, you know, and to say, okay, there's something more than just being goth. Not that that's, you know, a small thing, but like there is something a little more essential than that happening. So it was a question of like becoming something bigger than that. And then realizing that the, that the undercurrent of that I had been living with for so long actually was something much more profound than I ever realized. And even if it just meant, you know, trying to get like my friends, my close, closer friends to use the right pronouns for me, that, that in and of itself was, was a big shift. But at the same time, things were happening, like strangers were reading me as a woman. So I was like, okay, something is happening here that was slightly magical. And, and, and it also felt like, you know, the time, like giving up architecture, it was all like things are happening at a specific time for me and I'm just going to get on that train and go with, you know, 
and see where it goes. And it was, um, yeah, I felt like there are signposts in my life, like discovering CZ and the Banshees, which led me to who I am now, even though at the time it just seemed like a sort of, I don't know, like silly sort of subcultural indulgence. And I felt like now I realize what those things were building up to. That is such a beautiful way to put it. I can look back over my life and see all these ways I tried to express my gender identity. I tried to tell people, no, like that's not the right way to refer to me. No, that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. And and I we, you know, we don't live in a society, especially here in in the US, especially in in, you know, post-colonial everywhere, where like transness, where gender fluidity are valid and, and valued parts of, of our cultures. And and so I think there's a reason we don't, <laughs> I don't know, people are like, did you always know you were non-binary? Right, I'm like, right. yes, question mark at the end. Yes. Right, exactly. I didn't yeah. have the word because nobody was using that word. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I also didn't know that there was an option. I thought the boxes were like, be a dude, be a woman. And as a kid, uh-huh. I pretty yeah. much wanted to be a dude. <laughs> Uh-huh. I tried real hard to like click that box and everyone was like, no, you got to be ladylike. You're not a dude. And <sighs> I also think there's another layer of like, for me, I think there's, there are futures, there are worlds where my identity could look different and I could still be mm-hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. And and maybe if we lived in a society that valued fluidity, I might yeah. come to yeah. a different conclusion and, and I also tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm not done transitioning. I don't know where the fuck I'm going from here. Like, yeah, let's yeah. let's go together and see what happens. You know, yeah. <laughs> like who knows? Yeah. But it it feels so so powerful to to see these works of yours and and to feel for all the differences between us. I'm a white person. I come with you know so many layers of privilege to this work, and 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 still I see in my I see myself in in Swan Dive. I see myself in Spellbound. I see my egg cracking when I met, you know, a trans person who was just very comfortable in their skin. And I was like, what? You could just do that? (laughs) So I don't know. It's just, it's really incredible. Maybe we should talk about Upsara Engine a little bit more now because I'm like, ooh, let's get into some stories. (laughs) So let's talk about Swan Dive since we've danced around it a little bit. I'm like flipping, you might be able to hear the pages in the background. I'm flipping the (laughs) library copy open. So Swan Dive is the story of it's a story about basically a academic convention of mm-hmm. sorts where people mm-hmm. are coming together and sharing ideas. It's predominantly cis people. It seems like predominantly well-educated. Um, and if I'm correct, predominantly white people. However, there's a there's a decent con- contingent, or actually there's just the two Desi people who connect that we know of. And, and they connect over this presentation that, and I'm forgetting their names. So, so the older trans woman is Onima. Thank you. The younger non-binary person is Amrit. Thank you. So Onima gives this presentation about maps and cartography and, and transness. And mm-hmm. there's just one part that I wanted to read. If, if, if I may quote you to yourself. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> This is Onima. I imagine trans geographies to be a means of using cartography as a generative tool rather than a descriptive device, a way to chart possibilities, ways of being that have yet to manifest themselves. I imagine that trans bodies contain within them the capability to unlock potentialities as well, and that trans imaginations can realize new forms 
new bodies, entire worlds, radical and novel, psychic, social, economic, and political modes. I read that and I just, my, my eyes like exploded. I was just weeping, weeping reading that. Did I write that? You wrote that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Not so, bad. Not bad. That'll do. <laughs> I, I'm curious, you know, knowing now that it's the last story you wrote, knowing now that it's mm-hmm. almost an, an addition to the piece, which is wild because there's maps throughout, right? Like maps mm-hmm. are such an important, you know, visual language for you. Mm-hmm. Why this story? Why this, this cartographer, this, this philosopher to, to deliver this really important message? And yeah, just why? <laughs> uh, you know, this happens to me every time I, I finish a project and it's like far along enough after I finish the project that I... I can't tap into the initial impulse again because mm. it evaporated. Like, like mm-hmm. I, you know, when Feminist Press asked me if I would write another story, I was like hesitating and like, sure. Um, but I was like, what am I going to write about? Because I knew they wanted me to write something that was more explicitly trans, right? And I was like, what, how am I going to do that without it being so in your face, um, which is not my... MO, right? It's not my, my default setting is to be oblique, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I don't, I don't know how to address this issue. Not this issue. It's like 18 issues. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And I was like, how am I going to do that? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little because I, I think the only impulse that I had was like wanting to to draw more maps, um, <laughs> which is like, what, what great. does that mean? <laughs> but I, I guess what I was sort of tapping into was like, you know, this is something I did as a child, you know, just sort of making up. And I think a lot of kids do this, right? You make up a world and you draw what it looks like to you. Like, you know, you're trying to like emulate them, you know, the kind of world making that happens in like, Tolkien or something where you see the map and you're like, there's the mm-hmm. right there. Um, and I think that impulse was something that I was uh, certainly into as a, as a child, but then something I wanted to bring back into my comics. And then I was like, well, maybe the story is not, doesn't just have maps in it. Maybe the story is about making and drawing maps. And maybe the story is about drawing, you know? And I was like, where do I go with that? What does it, what does drawing mean to me? And then I realized, I think that drawing maps was a way for me to concretize, if that's a word, um, these sort of fleeting feelings of what the world can be like, right? Thinking like, oh, that w- it would be really nice if on this corner there was a bar where they played, you know, Susie and the Banshees and Indian classical music and Sister Sludge. Uh, all the right and then from that kind of imagination I think I was like wait so maybe going back a little bit to you know the egg cracking and realizing that you can make yourself who you want to be and who you really are and represent yourself that way is a way of redrawing and recreating yourself and a world that you want to inhabit so I think those you know, those are several threads that I was trying to tie together mm. in that mm. story under the guise of or 
with the excuse to myself that what I really wanted to do was draw these maps and to draw these imaginary worlds, which I'd been doing in my paintings and the sort of more architectural explorations that I'd been doing, um, which I was occasionally mapping back into my comics. But this one I wanted to make, I wanted to explore why I was doing that. And so the story became not a document about the artifacts, but about the making, the process of making, the process of making art and the process of making yourself or making yourself, you know? So yeah, it was sort of an homage to just, um, to the power of, of the medium, you know, almost, it's almost like in an oblique way, a love letter to comics, because that's what, that's what we do. Right. I mean, our whole world's just sort of like coming into being out of nowhere and characters who are either writing themselves or rewriting other characters. It's all, yeah, it was all, it was kind of um, an endeavor, which started off with a very simple impulse, but became a little more um, kaleidoscopic as I, as I started working on it, as I progressed through working out what it, what the story meant to me. That gives me a lot to think about. (laughs) I was like, this is very interesting. And I think that it reads like that, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, There's just something so beautiful about that story. And I would struggle even more, I think, to like fully define what it means to be able to read a story like that. Mm. Um, And to not have it, it's not my experience, but it's such an interesting and beautiful story. And I think that there is like, yeah, I mean, it it almost is like the culmination of these two books, right? Like, it's kind of just this like, uh, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't call it like a punctuation mark or something because I feel like that's so like reductive. But like, yeah, to me, it just kind of personified so much of what the books are saying, right? Yeah, yeah, for real. Um, yeah, like I said, I wish I could go back a little bit more. Um, <laughs> yeah. to Like what it was like to to map out the story. Um, right. So to speak. Um, but it's just sort of happened. <laughs> and it goes out into the air, right? It's like, that's kind of the thing is, is like, once you've done it, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that I do relate to is basically just being like, I did that, you know, three years ago or something, or like I did that last year. Last year was like a totally different person. Like <laughs> now I'm somewhere else, you know, um, I'm in like a whole different zone. And like, that's kind of the beauty of art is like you get it out of your system kind of, but then it's like, well, that's for other people now, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I can look at it as an observer, but I'm not necessarily the same person who created that. I'm the person like, who has in the past created that. Yes. Um, <laughs> which is like, you know, it's it's like a kind of hard to describe difference, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really uh, identify with all of that, actually. I also, there's something really, really special about Swan Dive in the way that Amrit and Onima interact. And, and there's uh-huh. sort of like a lot of push and pull. And uh-huh. you can see the sort of, Power isn't even the right word. It's just like the dynamic shifts over and over between them. Yes. And there's this moment where for Amrit, they have the ability for the first time to talk to another trans Desi person. It sounds like mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. And that completely opens their world. Yes. They, they, they suddenly, you know, they're scared. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you yeah. doing that? Uh-huh. And, then, and then they find themselves just in, in, enraptured. Uh, in the process of of creating this this imaginary world, 
Uh-huh. And and I saw this echoed in Spellbound where, and this is something that I feel really strongly about and see a lot of trans people experiencing, including myself, is that there's a way that loving another trans person uh-huh. Uh-huh. becomes a, a window or a door into loving yourself better. Oh, where yeah, you that's, can, that's you're exactly worshiping. Yeah, you're kind of worshiping transness in an embodied form. And uh, I mean, lowercase worship. I'm not actually saying we're <laughs> deifying each other by any means. <laughs> but there is something holy, I think, about transness. And I think there's something, there's just this gift you, you can have when you love another trans person physically, emotionally, spiritually. It is like a feedback loop. You're getting all that love back, hopefully, in the best of scenarios. <laughs> but I'm sure there are situations where that's not the case. But that's what I saw jump off the page so much with Onima and Amrit especially towards the end of the story. And I just, I'm curious, is that is that your experience as well as a trans person? Is that like that connecting and loving other trans people? Does that, am I on to something or am I, am I blowing yes, smoke? No, no, absolutely. <laughs> you are, you are. I mean, it, you know, as I said, like meeting a trans person for the first time was, she opened up the door for me, you know, and we're still, she's in LA now, this person who sort of was the door opener, um, but we're still, in touch and we're really good friends and having that kind of sisterhood and community is something that I think I was always longing for but again something I never knew I had access to right because for the longest time I was like well whatever gender whatever I don't people you know uh, I don't care what my pronouns are because I'm not even aware of other possibilities but what I was missing out on was the possibility of intimacy in, in a very specific kind of intimacy, I think that can only come with realizing one's transness, right? And that, again, this is not something I even knew that I was missing. <laughs> so it was, um, it was a question of having that possibility uh, revealed to me behind a curtain or, you know, through a door or something. So I'm, um, yeah, there was, I was trying to tap into a little bit of that, both in Spellbound and in 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 uh, Sarah Engine. And I think, well, in Spellbound, you know, the trans character, well, there are two. There's me and there's um, Titania or Titania. I'm never sure how to pronounce <laughs> both ways. But I mean, in a way, she is a substitute for me again, even though I show up in the book later. But yeah, it was like having this external representation of of yourself in the book, but also having trans sisters who are in a way mirrors of who you are or who you can be is a very powerful thing. And it was um, it's almost like a sort of feedback loop, you know? And I think that's something that's still resonating. The more I make comics and the more I find myself as you know, deeper in the trans community, which is hard given way we live in 2020 and 2021 but Mm. you know some of that will come back soon and that I will feel able to sort of luxuriate in that sense of of you know sibling community vibes and and intimacy Mm. Um, yeah I have to say your your books definitely made me feel like I was I was back with with my trans community it felt Uh really good to just be like "Mm." Mm, yes, this is beautiful. <laughs> I also love like, you know, everything's so heady, you know, because it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's funny to be in conversations with cis people as a trans person where mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of pressure to come from a place of knowing. Mm-hmm. 
for trans people to know I am this. This is what's oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You will not, you will not trust, you know, cross my boundary. And then, you know, I like in talking to other trans people, I'm always like meeting trans people who are like, oh yeah, I would totally be non-binary if like I thought people would actually respect it. But you know what? I, I'm just I'm cool with she her, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna be okay with it. I, and uh, or like you know, any that's number what of I went things. Through. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm happy where I am right now being she her, but like the important thing for me at a certain point was to get people who I loved or liked my, my friends to just address me properly. I'm like, just call me whatever. Just don't use male pronouns, please. You know, and, and I thought, well, they, them, was, would that work for you? And they're like, I can't, I just don't understand that. I'm like, it's not that hard. Um, yeah. Truly. And, and after a while, I was like, would, would you be, I don't know. I mean, I just, what would get you to address me properly? Would, it, would she, her? Was that easier? And they're like, oh, I guess so. I'm like, and I that sounds like I'm pandering to people because, but it, in a way, it's important because you want to be received in a certain way in the world, right? And yeah, it sounds more like surviving than pandering. Surviving, to be yes, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's like, yeah, we have to find these. There, there are certain people I just. I'm not going to correct for misgendering me. I'm not going to, my family doesn't give a shit about my gender identity. I'm not going to waste my time. I have like one sister who will like do it right every time. You know what? I'll take it. (laughs) Okay. I will take that. I'm just, the rest I just, I can't. Like for me, I can't go fight that battle Um, Mm -hmm. because I have, I have too many other things to do and it really is so, it's so enervating and so discouraging that I have to sort of put it out of my head sometimes. I just have to be like, I need to go write my short stories. I need to go like Mm -hmm. do my podcast. I cannot be thinking about how these people do not respect me. That is just, otherwise I'll just lay on the floor and cry all the time, which is (laughs) not as fun. Turns out. listener the other day i had a really great experience with someone on a customer service hotline actually it was to get my covid shots my vaccines and she was so kind she was so nice she made me feel so much less stressed out and i was like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make sure that i can give feedback to her organization so they know how hard she worked So I rated and reviewed her. I did the survey. I said, you know what? Maria, that's not her actual name, was amazing. And I'm going to give her 10 out of 10. And you know what you can do right now? You can go rate and review bitches on comics. I can't give you a vaccine, so I understand if that's going to lower your rating. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I hope it won't because I'm not a doctor. So rate us based on our podcast, and we'll be very grateful. And then rate us on our medical expertise. (laughs) Just cover all the sides. First one, then the other. (laughs) Make sure that you're being fair in this evaluation, please. (laughs) So throughout Upsar Engine, I, I get this sense... I was trying to think about, like, what do I think is a running theme? And it seems to me that there's these big philosophical concepts of, like, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be connected to other people? But then they're tied to these very intimate emotional Mm -hmm. moments. Mm -hmm. So even from the first story, which, let me just flip because I don't want to forget the name. 
is come back to me. Yeah. It it's you sort of start with just like this person walking on the beach and you're kind of like, "Oh, okay." But then the words mm-hmm. are like, you know, all about what does it mean to live on the beach? What do I get from this experience? How much mm-hmm. time do I spend just worrying about whatever thing, you know? And and I think that then there's this fun way that you bring in genre. So like in that story, right, we have the 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 sort of mermaid washing up on the beach and mm-hmm. and then now the mermaid draws the woman walking on the beach into the ocean. And I was like, that feels trans as, as hell. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, I see it. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> Again, like that, that was a story that I wrote before. Mm-hmm. I mean, as trans. So, you know, a little, you know, little trans girl inside my head was like well these are the stories that you have to write before you Mm. realize yourself um so that's maybe that's where that was coming from even though like I think again like the initial impulse for that story was to explore ways in which like text and image and comics either sync or don't sync in the way that like the text and the image can diverge at some point and what kind of what happens in the gap within that divergence, you know? Because at some point, her narrative sort of unlatches itself from what's happening in the, mm-hmm. right? So that's what I was trying to explore. But yeah, the, the mermaid, the person taking her down into the depths is like, it's not fully resolved, obviously. Like, what mm-hmm. what does that mean? But all of that happens with this kind of cis um, hat kind of background like her and James that relationship is like I don't know I don't know if I was trying to like poke holes in that relationship or not maybe I was but um a friend of mine mentioned that there's all sorts of moments in which characters in the book who are as now I think of them you know these are the apsaras of the title who intrude and intervene into other um, scenarios and into other narratives. So the mer person, for example, is is one of these apsaras who who like injects themselves into the narrative and disrupts it, so that suddenly the the narrative splits in two. You know, so that that's the kind of impulse that I had to make that story without even kind of knowing what it all meant. Um, which is interesting because um, apsaras in Hindu and Buddhist mythology are these. <laughs> are celestial nymphs, um, like me, um, um, who, who are, they never, like, they're never in the spotlight, right? They're always kind of, like, tangential to any grand mythological story, but they're always, in tr- they're always, like, disrupting other, they're, like, they come down and, like, seduce sages who are trying to do this very um, serious kind of, like, fire ceremony or something, and that, They'll use their wiles to distract these sages from their highest duties. And then the sages get all m- messed up because they're too uh, drawn to the sort of femme energies of the apsaras. And then they can't complete the, the fire ceremony, right? So I think there is some of that, of this idea of like disruption of narratives being disrupted by these characters who um, whose energies are in between themselves, very intimate and warm. But then if there's like, there's a sort of mischief at work where they have these disruptive qualities when they interact with the outside world. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. I was curious because you've you've done kind of these great works. And, and so I've just been wondering, is there something that you haven't been able to do yet that you are looking forward to doing in your future work? Um, yeah, well, there's two things that I can think of that I would love to do. And one is a project that expands sort of on Swan Dive in the sense that I would, I, I want to go back to exploring what it means to, to traverse a landscape or an urban landscape. And I really had, I have this idea for a book, which is a sort of hybrid book, which would be a sort of overlay of like a travel guide, a sort of, um, what do you call it? Those eyewitness travel guides that are just like, they have maps and then they have like images of restaurants and bars that you should go. Like photos or whatever. Yes, yeah, photos, yeah, 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 exactly. But then to turn that into a comic where there is a sort of host who is presenting this world to you as a, as a narrative. But then again, there's this like divergence between what they do and what their job is as someone who is interacting with the reader. So they might be like on one chapter addressing the reader and saying, here's a lovely bar on the corner on the banks of this river where you can get, you know, cocktails made with uh, these local herbs. And then somebody sits next to her and they have this conversation, then it goes in this whole different direction. And it, it keeps oscillating between those two voices and those two genres. But the other thing I really wanted to do was to explore doing something very kind of strictly genre-based, um, specifically sci-fi. And I think that's how I started some of the work that I do in like Upsara Engine, but always got waylaid. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of the work ends up not being sci-fi in its strictest sense, but it has that impulse in it. I would love to see, you know, like to do something with a spaceship <laughs> like that takes. Yeah, I noticed you were a Star Trek fan and I was going to be bringing it up. So oh. yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would want to do something more uh, that inhabits that world more cleanly. Um, but again, I feel like if I start a project like that, I'm going to get diverted, <laughs> which may be for the best. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not meant to do um, straight up genre work. I don't know. But it's something I'd like to explore. I, I mean, I would love to see it. I thought that you had such a, a deft way of bringing the genre elements in. And they weren't always predictable. Like mm. uh, the story, oh, and I'm forgetting the name of that one too, but it's where the the like dog girl is in oh, it. And the way she's, she's, she appears in two stories, but right. a, yeah, there's Love Song and then there's one called Throat, which is the, the more disturbing one. <laughs> yes, I was thinking about Throat. Thank you for remembering the names. I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah. And... When she's first presented, she just, if you're not paying attention really closely to the panel, she just looks mm -hmm. like a little girl who's just like not <laughs> tall enough to be like all you can see is her head. So yeah. then I like flip the page and I'm like, wait, what, 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 what is happening? <laughs> I missed the paw. And then I flipped back and I was like, no, there are paws there. I just didn't um, see them because I was yeah. like not ready for the genre element. But I love that. I love the way that the genre is, is surprising, is you know, maybe we call it speculative in nature, yeah, but it, it's yeah. it's so, for me, it's like so much of what I'm looking for in my 
my speculative comics in particular is uh-huh. how do we get the emotional reservoir and yes. how do we tap into that through genre? And and I think that Throat is this very disturbing story, right? Where this little dog girl is trying to speak, but mm-hmm. her her mom, her owner, uh, mm-hmm. thinks she has asthma whenever she goes <laughs> to speak. And you're just mm-hmm. like, this is, I've been had my voice silenced. Uh I've had people, you know, think they're helping me, but actually hurt me and not been in a place where I could say that's hurting me. Stop that. Uh And it was just, I felt like that was very queer and very trans. (laughs) And it was that, and it was those ways in a way where you almost have to look at it out of the side of your eye. And that to me is like, it makes your, my brain move differently. And that's what I valued so much in the way you included speculative aspects in Apsara Engine. Thank you. I, you know, it's, it's a funny word because I wasn't even aware that that's how you one might characterize the book. Um, it was only later because nobody had really seen the book before it came out, obviously. My, my, my partner did. But once it was out in the world, it was like the way people reacted to it on, was um, to, you know, and to start to call it things, they were like, oh, not sure what genre it's in, but if it was something, it would be like speculative fiction. And I'm like, oh, well, that's news to me, but uh, I'll, <laughs> you know, because I'm not, I'm not even sure what genre it is trying to inhabit, if it, if at all, any, you know? So yeah, no, it's, it's nice. It's, it's like words like uncanny, um, mm up a lot when people describe the book so and I, I'm gladly take that on uh, as a as a kind of motif in the book um, and with that story throughout that again I think it's a question of not knowing exactly where that story came from I think it came I think I dreamt a version of it or at least I dreamt a version of that character which was very disturbing to me again before it came out but you know I think it says a lot about like you were saying about like queer and trans bodies and this question of hybridity and what mm. I mean of and also of her not being able to speak you know maybe that that was something I wasn't even aware of that as a, um, an early signal of myself not having my trans voice yet and that kind of hybrid creature being the potential of me becoming or realizing a third way out of out of my assigned gender, you know? But these, again, these are things that only became more explicit to me recently, you know? Mm -hmm. And hearing you talk about that story also is like making these thoughts about how those stories related to my process as a trans person, how it makes those relationships much clearer to me now. Because I wasn't even sure that throat had anything to do with who I, <laughs> but clearly it does. Yeah, I mean, felt felt like it to me. You know, another <laughs> another big element of of Apsara Engine in particular, uh-huh. and 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 it's it's definitely a contingent of uh, Spellbound as well. Is is dealing with racism and anti South Asian, anti Desi sentiment, and and the ways that different characters are exoticized by their white partners or <laughs> their uh you know like they they're they don't feel free to wear more traditional outfits mm. that they would like to wear or you know and then and it, there's a particular way it intersects with gender um again in the case of uh swan dive with yes. amrit 
but also throughout there there there's a lot of dealing with the intersections of yes. you know anti-south asian racism and gender fluidity mm-hmm. and i have lots of guesses about why that's in there but i just wanted to invite you if if it was of interest to just talk a little bit about that sure i i would i guess for me it wasn't so much about like anti desi racism as much as the kind of feelings of displacement that one has as a south asian person growing up um as part of a diaspora and whether it's in uh, the states or UK or whatever, wherever, and the same kind of displacement that one might feel as a queer or trans person, maybe before you know where you're going, or even while you're going there, which is, you know, the case for me, I'm, I'm still not sure, but that feeling of um, the kind of distance between a kind of um, stability, and I don't want to use that word to to make it sound like it's something one should aspire to, but there's a certain comfort in it, you know? And that's what I think in Swan Dive, when they're creating this world where, you know, they mention like going to Auntie Albany's house for this mayfil, which is a gather, a musical gathering, a very intimate musical gathering where people just sit on the floor and sing devotional songs or, you know, poetry together. These are moments for me which felt like they had a certain kind of stability and a certain closeness and intimacy, but were very fleeting moments for me being someone of Indian descent who doesn't live in India, right? So it was a way of me, for me to capture that fleeting moment and to say, maybe this can happen again somehow within my queer and trans community. And that's a kind of like utopian thinking about the way you can create your worlds to mirror these moments that you've um, that you've tried to capture and are now just sort of like fleeting and, and evanescent, right? Um, but yeah, I was trying to get at this, the parallel tracks between how it is to feel a longing for something like you know, I'll say the motherland, even though that term has is fraught with problems. Um, but this kind of longing that I have, and I think speaking to other Desis, I think it's a feeling we all have, like, and, uh, and I think somebody, I, I don't know, is it Anjali or Onima puts it a certain way, it's a longing for, some, for a history or a culture you never had, right? So seeing things like, mm. um, I think Amrit at one point says, like, you know, watching a Bollywood movie from the 90s brings up all this, these feelings of wanting to participate in a culture, but not to it because you were never part of it. You grew up in, you know, Poughkeepsie or wherever, and that kind of intimacy just didn't happen in that the, the kind of intimacy that you see in this film. But yet you want some, you want to grab onto some tendrils of that and to recapture it. And I think that's very like, That kind of longing is, I think, you know, it's double-headed. It's like both cultural and it's very, um, I think there's elements of transness to that, to that desire. That is beautiful. I really appreciate you explaining and and being willing to share those those feelings of displacement with us. Like, thank you so much. Like that, 
really creates yeah. a lot of clarity for me in understanding the works. So thank you. I was going to say like that there's that one panel in Swan Dive where they are sitting around and, you know, there's an older auntie who's playing the harmonium and there's a bunch of like femmes and non-binary people sitting there and they're all singing. And this is something, as I was saying, it's a moment that I wanted to recapture because as a kid, I remember on one of our trips back to India where my aunt's would just gather at somebody's house in the afternoon, someone would pull out a harmonium and everyone would be sitting on the floor. Bodies would be up against each other. Um, the men were usually off somewhere else, but also the femmes and, you know, at the time there weren't any in my family anyway, the, you know, non-binary folks, but I wanted to take that energy of that, that intimacy and that this musical kind of closeness and this sort of spontaneous event that happened where I, rem I remember the physical sensations of bodily contact and of the emotional closeness. I wanted to recapture that and to say this can happen again in a more kind of in a, in a queer format, you know. So that was like one small impulse in writing things like Swan Dive. Just got to wipe a couple tears away. <laughs> um, feeling very emotional. <laughs> oh my gosh. I could just talk to you all day, but I, I, th I feel so rejuvenated by this conversation. I feel so encouraged. I am like so excited for, you know, the works that are just starting to come together in your mind. Like, oh my gosh, the, the travel guide one mm -hmm. sounds just like, what? Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. I want to start it, but I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like the wrong time. And mm -hmm. also, I just don't have, I'm not in that headspace, you know? Yeah, I, I, it's hard to have ideas that I'm like, okay, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to get there one day. Yeah. Um, I just want to check, Sarah, do you have any more questions? I don't, but this has been a huge honor. And yeah, we've, we've enjoyed this so much, I think. Um, I am looking forward to all of your next work as well. This has been great. Well, Bishak, thank you so much. This has oh been gosh. such an enlightening conversation, such a, I feel so rejuvenated and connected and, and queer and trans and like <laughs> so proud of being those things. So thank you for these beautiful books. So we will have links in our show notes, listeners, so you can go pick up Spellbound, so you can go pick up Apsara Engine. We will also link to Bishak's Instagram and to her website so that you can go learn more because this is a name you are not going to be forgetting people. <laughs> there's too many good things ahead. I'm so excited. Um, please let us know if there's any ever anything we can do to support you and your work because we are just the biggest fans. That is really, really sweet to hear. Thank you so much. And it's it doesn't even feel like we've been talking I guess we have been talking for a little bit, but it just sort of flew by. So It really did. It really did. I looked up and I was like, oh, it's been awesome. an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, well, thank you so much. It's been such an honor. Thank you for having me. Um, actually, just talking to you both has made me realize a few things about, about my work, but also about the world. I don't know. It's, um, it was very uh, nourishing to be part of this. So thank you. Mm, that's the dream. We 
are a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I am bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.